So, um, um, when I was 12, my family moved to quite a rural location and um, at the age of 14, I uh, joined the choir. If, uh, in fact, I better explain where I lived. I uh, lived near to Linica Reservoir. Uh, and so we were quite out on the sticks and it was quite a lonely time. So it was quite um, a good thing for me to join the choir. And I joined St. Peter and St. Paul Oldbrampton choir with my sister and there were several of other girls that already went. And every Sunday morning and Sunday evening, the vicar would pick us up in a really battered old uh, transit minibus. It had no seat belts and I'm sure it wouldn't pass any health and safety these days. And he always picked us up wearing his black cassock to the floor. Uh, so it was quite an unusual kind of trip every week and sometimes the minibus would break down and I've got memories of being on Newbold Lane and the vicar getting out in his long black cassock with the bonnet up and fixing the minibus to take us all home. Uh, Thursday evenings were choir practice night and we would practice all the hymns and the uh, psalms because we sang psalms at, uh, at the church that I went to. Uh, we practiced all those for the Sunday and we would always practice anthems. Now anthems were like our, almost like our party piece. Um, uh, they would be um, obviously Christian music. So I think most of you probably know Ave Maria. And we would sing that at weddings. That was one of our anthems. Uh, I never got the solo. My voice wasn't that good. Um, but uh, one of the anthems that we sang a lot was the heavens declare the glory of God. And it's part of a huge piece written by uh, Franz Joseph Hayden, The Creation. And it's based on uh, Genesis. And then there's this chorus that's about 12 minutes long that's called... Um, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And our choir master, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the late 70s, early 80s. I know I don't look that old, but I am. <laughs> our choir master hadn't changed from the 1940s. If you can imagine someone from the 1940s, that was him, Mr. Baker. Uh, and he would um, kind of be like a man possessed when we were practicing any anthem, but particularly this one. And um, at the end, it would probably, it, it almost physically drained him because probably at the end of every service and every practice, he would be outside the back door having a cigarette. <laughs> but he was great. He did actually throw me out the choir in the end, which um, uh, I wasn't naughty, honest. I wasn't naughty. Um, I just decided that one Sunday I wanted to sit in the congregation for communion. And he said to me that I had to choose choir or, or service sitting in the communion, and I chose to stay in the service. So that was the end of my choir career. But um, anyway, <laughs> so we used to sing the heavens are telling the glory of God, and it was an amazing uh, anthem that I really used to love singing. So now I'm going to fast forward quite a few years. And um, I work out in uh, at Chatsworth, and my drive to work must be one of the best that anyone can have. Um, I drive up through Holy Moor Side. I don't know if everybody knows it, Uploads Road. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, fields both sides. And I've also seen um, buzzards. Uh, you know, I've seen so much uh, of the beauty of God up there. And I get right up onto the top, uh, right onto Beely Moor. And as I turn and go down, there's a very straight road. Um, 
probably, I don't know whether it's Roman road, whatever it is, but it's very straight and it takes my eye right across to the valley on the other side and up to the skies above. And every time that I uh, get to that point, it reminds me of that song, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Sometimes I get out my car if I'm not rushing to work. It's not very often, but sometimes I do. And uh, Beth's got a few photos to put up. Because over the last two years, I've uh, took, this is the long straight road. I stopped just here. And um, as, I can, as you can see, it's absolutely beautiful. And, uh, and I just stop for a moment and pause and think about God's creation, how wonderful it is. And I just have to take a moment, take a breath. And, and that's when I think of the heavens declare the glory of God. And I'm not just thinking at those words. I can actually, I take myself back to that choir singing that anthem. I don't know whether we've gone through them all yet, Beth. So these have been taken over the last two years. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, and I think if anybody wants a moment to go and worship God, uh, it's, it's a triangle on Bealey Moor. Go and park up there. So where did those words come from? Well, they come from Psalm 19. And uh, I don't know whether you want to find it. I'm just going to get it in my Bible because I forgot to get it ready. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Bible's very clear. God reveals himself through nature. And we're surrounded by such a fantastic display of God's craftsmanship, especially here, at, living near the Peak District. And even when we look up at the sky at night, the heavens give us dramatic evidence of the glory and the existence of God. 
Isn't it amazing that creation does not speak in audible words, but it shouts out every moment of every day of the glory of God. Night after night, it displays the knowledge, and it's the same all over the world. As you know, I've got, uh, we've got Josh in America at the moment, and uh, wherever you are in this world, the earth, the landscape, the skies, and the clouds all uh, display God's glory. And as Josh looks up uh, in the sky in North America, he's looking at, at that same glory of God that I am here in little old Chesterfield. So we don't need to go to the hills, though, to, um, to see the glory of God. Um, Particularly this time of year, if you've ever had the time to go for a walk on what's been either a foggy or a frosty day, and you see um, spiders' webs highlighted by the dew, it is just so absolutely beautiful. And has anyone uh, ever had just a single snowflake on your finger? Uh, if you look at the pattern, it's just amazing. And I just think, how can that be chance? How can every uh, snowflake that's made be a chance thing? I've got one thing on my bucket list. Uh, I think Nicola would know it already. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love to see the Northern Lights. That's all I want to do. That's the only thing on my bucket list. <laughs> Thank you. So maybe we need to organise a trip, if there's one or two of you got that on your bucket list. And the heavens really do declare the glory of God when you see something like that. I love the next two verses um, because um, they're just absolute poetry and imagery. And I, I haven't got the time really to go through that. I did put lots of things down, but my sermon went on way too long, so I've cut that out. But I'll just read it to you. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. I think there's probably about 10 sermons in those few verses, but just to be reminded of how wonderful the sun is and how it points us to God. In Romans chapter one, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have all been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. That's kind of a scary thing to say, men are without excuse. Um, the heavens and the earth and creation are the preacher that speaks about God. From age to age, from generation to generation, taking us from what we can see to uh, the glory of God, from the um, physical, to the spiritual and uh, the heavens declare that glory they're not declaring their own glory they're declaring God's glory and they're directing us to God himself the creator creation the beauty we see feel taste experience is the biggest signpost we'll ever have and it says God this way so the, the psalm is kind of in three sections and you might think oh well they don't really fit in but actually they do, um, because first of all, we've got God and the glory of God, and then we've got God's word. So the glory of God then points us to God's word. Uh, so we, uh, it takes us deeper into knowing God that we've been signposted to. And in verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
Now there, it doesn't mean law as in um, things that you cannot do, although maybe there might be a few. Uh, what it really means is the word of God. The word of God is there for us and it is perfect and it revives our soul. Um, so uh, God's word revives us and restores us and brings us back to life. We've got this wonderful book, the Bible, and it is a medicine to our soul, but God can only use it if we read it. Uh, if we don't read it and don't place it in our heart, then uh, it isn't going to revive our soul. The next verse goes on to the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Well, we all want to be wise, but this isn't wisdom as the world knows it. It's not about being clever. Uh, it's about trusting God and his word. And this will impact our life in such a way that we're not swayed by this thing and that. Um, it, uh, we need to have our, our life based on the word of God. We need to be Bible believing and uh, we need to have our life built on Jesus. The precepts of the uh, Lord is the next uh, teaching in the verse. And, they, and that means the teaching and instruction of the Lord and that they are right. God's instructions and his rules are right for us. And when we obey them, it gives us joy in our heart. When I think of precepts, it made me think of the school classroom. Because you always need rules in a school classroom. You need to be organised. And if you think of a classroom where there, is no, there are no rules, then the children run riot. Uh, some get very upset, some get bullied, and no one is actually learning. It's not, it's not a positive uh, environment for anybody. Uh, and that's what it is with God's law too. If we could just all do what we wanted, um, nobody would actually be very happy. Uh, God's precepts are there to help us, to guide us. They're boundaries that keep us safe uh, so that we can enjoy the life that God's given us. Um, they give us freedom. I know that sounds funny, but actually... Laws do give us freedom because we're able to act within those, um, those boundaries and feel safe. If you think about um, some of the countries uh, where there's sort of been civil war and things like that at the moment, there seem to be no laws, no boundaries, and uh, they must be pretty awful places to live. Uh, and that's why God's law is so important, because it's a way of guiding us all to live uh, in freedom. I hope that makes sense. The next thing uh, in, the, in the psalm, it says, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Now, it's lovely to sit on a summer's day uh, out in the sun, and the sun is so important to us. We're strengthened by it, we're uplifted by it, our spirits are uplifted by it, and we're nourished by it. We get vitamin D from it. Um, you know, everything about the sun is positive for us, unless you spend too long in it without sun cream. Okay. Uh, and in the UK, radiant warm heat brings us long days of light. It really does make us feel better. And that's what God's word is like. The Bible has the same effect on our soul. It opens our eyes to more of God's light. It gives us a greater understanding of who he is. And it also points us to Jesus, God's son. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Not a frightened, scared fear, but a reverence, one that worships 
God and has an awareness of God, but also thinks of God as a judge. Fearing God means we have respect for him and obey him. It means that we acknowledge him to be our creator. It means that we uh, serve him out of reverence for him. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. Well, what are ordinances? They're like a rule or a law. Again, uh, it's a decree or a command. And we already know that um, to live life uh, in, and well, we need to have some boundaries. Otherwise, we're all kind of going to be in chaos. So the, uh, the ordinance of the law... Um, can be, we can put our faith in it, it's true, uh, and God's uh, laws won't let us down or let, let us be disappointed. God's word is altogether righteous. It's wholly, utterly, totally, absolutely righteous. So when we look at the little bit of the passage on God's word, we can see that uh, the rules of the Lord are trustworthy and they're totally right, totally perfect. We can trust them all. They're more precious than gold, more, more pure gold. They are sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Throughout history, people have fought over gold, and they're probably still fighting over gold now. God is ver uh, gold is a very precious commodity, and today the wealth of nations is wrapped up in gold bullion. Uh, but God's word is much more precious than gold. And that's what David's saying. Even though it's such a precious commodity, he's trying to say, think of gold. God's word is better. It's better for you. And honey is sweet, the sweetest of natural substance, substances. David couldn't nip to the shop and get a bag of sugar. You know, sh sugar and sweetness uh, wasn't uh, a commodity that everybody had in those days. Uh, and so honey was one of those highly regarded uh, sought after um, food that, uh, that were treated uh, as a special, something really special. And David's saying that uh, God's word is even more precious and highly regarded than the highest commodity, the best food, the sweetest thing he can imagine. And then we go on and it says, but all these laws must be kept. It's not just about knowing them. It says in keeping them that there is great reward. Now, that doesn't mean that we can work our way to heaven. It's not on about that. Uh, it's, on, it's really talking about the fact that if we've got God's laws and, and we ignore them, we're not really going to be very happy. Uh, and I think ultimately most people are not happy if they are living a selfish uh, life that doesn't include God. Um, we've all struggled at times with our lives and we know what it's like when we're a long way away from God. Uh, so keeping these laws does not bring our salvation and it's not saying that. We can't work our way to heaven. It's just that what the Bible's saying here in this bit of the passage is that uh, it's in following God's law, doing the will of God. That's what's good for us. It's no good being a Christian and doing whatever you like. There really isn't any joy in that. And often, um, if you're a Christian and then you're disobedient, I think you feel far more guilt than if you weren't a Christian at all. The, uh, the, um, the emotion that you feel because you've uh, let God down is, is, can be quite a burden until you're able to confess that and sort that out with God. 
So we need to spend time reading God's word. Um, the Bible uh, will then become more precious than gold. It will then become more sweeter than honey. We need to be living by God's word every day. This is the thing that makes our life sweet. So then we've got the next natural step. Um, God is, um, we've looked at the glory of God and we've looked at God's word. Uh, but now uh, David starts to look at himself uh, because we can't fail to look at ourselves if we look at God and how perfect he is and the glory of God. Thanks Nicola for smiling at me. <laughs> I've got one supporter there. <laughs> Uh, so we've got the next natural step. God's law has shone a penetrating light. It's looked at all the nooks and crannies of our lives and actually we feel naked and ashamed. Well, I do. I don't know whether you do, but I do. David has looked at his life in the light of the holy law and he realises how full of imperfection it is. And it drives him to his own self-examination. Who can understand his errors? He acknowledges the difficulty. And it is for a man or woman to understand what their own errors are. Sometimes we've got um, things that we just cannot see. And um, if you want to know what mine are, ask John. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I think John will uh, uh, give you a different answer. <laughs> and this part of the psalm makes me think about uh, Simon Peter. When he saw um, that miraculous catch of fish, uh, I talked about it last time, he, uh, he realised who God was. And all of a sudden, the light, God's penetrating light, went deep in his soul and he fell on his knees and asked Jesus to go away from him because he was a sinful man. Um, and when we allow God's penetrating light daily into our lives, we realise our own sinfulness and our own need of Jesus. So David marveled at creation and how the heavens speak of God's glory. And then he looked at God's law and statutes and precepts and commands. And suddenly all of those things bring light to his eyes and he realizes his own sinfulness. He examines himself and then he asks God for uh, forgiveness of sins that he's unknowingly committed. And we do all have those. We all have blind spots. Uh, and we all have things in our character that we can't see, but other people can see so clearly. David also realises that there are willful sins. He had in the past chosen to ignore God's law and do his own thing. So he asked God for help to overcome those sins so they don't rule over him anymore. Thankfully for us, we have Jesus who died for us and the Holy Spirit to help us. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place to be punished for all of that sin, whether it's known or unknown, whether it's willful or by accident. Uh, so we have great hope now through the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, after David's uh, thought about uh, his own life and examined himself, he then brings himself before God in submission and he sub submits his tongue, his heart. In essence, he submits his every being, his very being to God. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Your words are very powerful. John's going to look at me now. We may find it hard to change our heart, but we can change our speech. If you lose your temper, if you feel angry... 
However hot your passion, we do not have to speak. We could remain silent. Yes, it may be difficult, but this is where prayer and obedience come into our daily walk with God. Our will and our own choices are what we probably need to pray about every part of every day. It's not easy to live a good godly life. Again, I've failed many times. My mouth opens very quickly sometimes, doesn't it, Dan? Mm. <laughs> I once called Dan a liar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I say things I wish I had not and that live with me forever. But if we commit our way to the Lord, we examine ourselves in the light of God's word and ask Jesus to help us every day, then we can have victory over our words and day-to-day -day living. Of course, we still make mistakes and we're not perfect yet. So what are the meditations of our hearts? What do we think about? Do our thoughts run away with us? Are we dwelling on something that someone has said to us? Are we thinking of revenge? or at least showing them who's boss. What do we watch on TV? Do we make excuses that say, well, it's just part of real life, isn't it? It's okay to watch it. What do we look at on our computer screens, on our phones? Is it beneficial? Is it robbing us of time? Is it robbing us of a pure heart? What are we filling our heart and mind with? If this is not good, then our life with God is going to suffer, and we're going to suffer. And at this point, an old hymn comes to mind, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You might be thinking to yourself, well, my life and my soul does not feel very revived. I'm finding it difficult to praise God, talk to Jesus, pray, and to give God the glory. It's all right for you, Maria. You have a lovely journey to work by the sound of it. <laughs> nice job. Uh, plenty of time to reflect on God's glory. You have a nice home, nice husband. All right, John. <laughs> nice boys who are following Jesus. It's easy for you to declare God's glory and feel revived in your soul because you're not going through what I'm going through. True, I'm not going through what you're going through. But often we assume that every, everyone else is succeeding in the Christian life and that it's only us struggling. I had my first bout of depression at the age of 19, and over the last 30 odd years, I've had depression and anxiety to various degrees. There have been times in my life when I thought it would be easier for myself and everyone else if I was not around. Of course, those thoughts are not true. When we're depressed or experiencing some other mental illness, we are not evaluating clearly. We don't always know why we're suffering from depression. It could be stress, it could be bereavement, it could be things from our past. Can I just say to you, if you ever feel this way, go to the doctor. Some Christians seem to think that it's okay to go to the doctor for anything else. Broken toe, high blood pressure, heart problems, infections. No one says to the ambulance driver, don't take me to hospital, I'm a Christian, I need to deal with this myself. So why or oh why do we think that as a Christian we should not have a mental illness or depression or that we should be able to make ourselves better? It's our brain that's poorly and somewhere there is an imbalance. Ask for prayer, yes. Pray for healing, yes. 
But also, sometimes that answer to prayer is going to the doctor. Uh, antidepressants, people are so frightened of taking them. Just think of it like this. They are just replacing a chemical that you have lost in your brain. Sometimes you might need counselling, or it may be cognitive behaviour therapy. You might need to see a psychiatrist. You might need to take tablets, you might not. It may be all of those things. But seek help, you're not a failure. You're poorly, your judgement on things is clouded because you're not well. And I'd just like to say to you, if that's you today and you're struggling to give God the glory, then we want to pray with you. We really do. Um, you know, prayer is such a precious thing. In another season of my life, John and I had been married for quite a few years. And I desperately wanted children, but they didn't arrive. All our peers were having babies left, right and centre. And it was a very difficult time for me. In fact, I was pretty miserable and poor John had to cope with a lot. Finally, after eight years of marriage, I was pregnant. But from the onset, there was a problem. It's a complicated medical story uh, that spanned about seven weeks, and I, I don't want to go through it all. But the final complication for the uh, situation was that I had a rare form of ectopic pregnancy. Now, for anyone who's not medical, that means that it's a pregnancy that's not in the womb. Uh, I, had, I was in, in and out of hospital quite a few times and then finally it got quite serious and I, was, uh, I had two consultants set at my bedside discussing with me all the possibilities. I had to consent to a hysterectomy if they thought it was necessary once I was on the operating table. My life was in danger if the pregnancy continued and so it was removed. Now thankfully you know that John and I now have Joe and Josh but they were tough times. Life from the outside often hides many sorrows. And for all of us, there are good times and bad times. And there are times when our soul is, soul is so sad and our pain so deep that we find it even difficult to speak. When our head is low and our eyes are so heavy that we cannot lift them high enough to see God's glory and our body is too weak to declare God's glory. What do we do then? How can the law of the Lord revive our soul? How can knowing Jesus revive our souls? Firstly, I would say you need to be part of a church and you need good Christian friends. Before I had children, I was part of a prayer triplet. We would meet fortnightly and talk about our life and our prayer needs, and then we would pray for each other. I'm so grateful for my two Christian friends who gave me strength when I didn't have any. Later on, after I had Joseph and Josh, I was part of a prayer group of five minutes. Five minutes? <laughs> five women. Five women. So five minutes left, okay. <laughs> we met weekly and we would talk about our families and the struggles we were facing. And then we'd pray for each other. It was a little haven that revived my soul. And Julia Barnes sat there, was one of those five. Uh, and we still... Obviously, we're at the same church now, Julia and I. We don't always speak every week, but we know each other really well. And that came from uh, having prayer time uh, and just um, living our life together and being honest with each other within that group and praying for each other. More recently, there have been people at RK that have prayed for me when I've gone through difficulties. 
there's lots, and I'd like to name it all, but it's not a naming festival. And it, uh, it, I, you know who you are, and I uh, send you lots of love, and thank you. Your Christian support has been such a treasure to me. So prayer is very important. God is waiting for you to tell him how you feel. He wants to be that loving father that puts his arm around you and revives your soul. If you're struggling to pray, then keep a journal. Write prayers, write poems. And if you're struggling with everything, just find a psalm and read it. I have a particular psalm that I read when I need strength from the Lord, when I cannot find words to express how I'm feeling, and it's Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. If we go back to Psalm 19, all we need to know about enjoying God and serving God is summed up in that psalm. C.S. Lewis writes about Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So even C.S. Lewis thought that Psalm 19 is the best psalm. Because firstly, it points us to God's creation. We can see God's glory and worship him. You don't need to be out in the Peak District. We can marvel at creation in every, every aspect of our life. The tiny hands of a newborn baby, the beautiful sound of music, a painting, a flower, a night sky. Secondly, the psalm points to God's word, God's law. Read God's word and obey it. Let it become your gold. Let the thing that you desire most, let that become the, the thing that you desire most. This is your wealth in that Bible. It is your wealth right here. Thirdly, we're reminded to search our hearts in the penetrating light of God's holiness. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your hidden and willful sins. Remember, Jesus died for your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that if you believe in him, you shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Fourthly, ask God every day to make your heart and your words pleasing to him, your rock and your redeemer. Do you know Jesus? Do you believe he died for you? If you do, then this psalm is your blueprint for life. It's your step-by-step -step manual. Worship God, read his word, examine yourself, and repent of any sin and live a life pleasing to God with your words, your heart and your whole being. But what if you don't know Jesus? Well, well let me repeat, I can't speak now, repeat verse, the verse in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. It does not matter how much you have messed up. Jesus died for your sin. He was punished in your place. Jesus is our go-between. God looks on us with love because of the punishment that Jesus received in our place. And Jesus can be with you now. He did not just die for our sin. He rose from the dead and he's waiting for you to ask him into your life to say sorry. He wants to give you the real life that you're really longing for. Psalm 19 starts and ends with God. The heavens do declare the glory of God, and this glorious God and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can be our rock and our redeemer. Jesus can be our strength through everything life throws at us. Yes, I do think that sometimes we have to cling on. 
Sometimes Christian friends help us to keep our head above water. They keep us on the right path, but we're not made to live alone. We are God's church and he made us to love each other, pray for one another and live together as a family. The heavens declare the glory of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <laughs>